Greetings, Alpha Seekers. It's the uh, Sunday edition. And you know, on the weekend edition, we always read the Tribune. And this week we read the week, so you don't have to. But first, an important message from our sponsors. Uh, number one is Ventures Next, of course, with the uh, 10-10-10 deal. We have another investor in the 10-10-10 deal. So thank you, listener. You know who you are. Uh, so this has become our most popular investment. It's a low bar, but it is our most popular investment. Um, we are offering a 10% uh, return, a 10-month uh, loan. Uh, looking for 10000 or so. We call it a minimum or a recommended investment, but we're flexible on both sides of that $10,000. So... You know, it's real simple. Give us ten grand today, and in ten months we'll give you eleven grand. Ten percent simple interest. So uh, hard to find, tough to beat. And the other uh, new advertiser is the Aspen Tea Company. So now that we're getting into the holidays, uh, what could be better than giving the gift of tea? I'm sure it has health benefits. You know, who knows? It may protect you from COVID. It may have some immuno-boosting qualities, uh, but it's delicious and nutritious and organic and kosher, uh, and I I think probably halal, you know, for all that matter. Uh, Seriously, it is good, and uh, it's my wife's company, so I'm sure she would appreciate a little business. Uh, Speaking of the family, uh, I posted an article on Facebook about COVID-sniffing dogs. So, you know, Louie is looking for a job, my my Maltese. And my advice to you is if you have a Mal- if you don't have a Maltese, don't get one. Uh, he's like a very cute little rattlesnake, honestly. I told a woman that the other day. We are in the cleaners, and she's like, oh, what a cute dog. And I said, you know, he bites. And he's like a very cute rattlesnake. If you don't have one, don't get one. And, uh, but anyway, you know, you grow to love these little pets regardless of their, uh, less endearing habits, like biting people, including me. And, uh, so, but, you know, things being what they are, you know, everybody needs to pull their own weight, at least until the socialist paradise gets here. And, uh, it's on the way, folks. And, um, you know, so Louie needs a job, so I'm thinking... A, a COVID-sniffing uh, dog job would be a good for Louie. So, anyway. But I'm going to roll through this pretty quick, frankly, uh, because there's a lot. Uh, uh, reading the Trib is a very thought-provoking experience. So here's a straight-up um, business article about getting a closer look at Biden's plans for taxes. And you don't really need to even buy the Trib or even search on the Trib. This is an AP article. The headline in the Trib is getting a closer look at Biden's plans for taxes by Bill Barrow of the Associated Press. So you could probably just go out on the Associated Press website and get it for free and not have to log in or anything. Um, So, you know... Most of this is no surprise, taxes are going up. But Joe has been quoted as saying an active federal government should support but not constrict private enterprise. 
And, uh, of course, he believes the highest tax burden should be on the wealthiest. Uh, if you make $400,000 or less as an individual, according to them, according to Joe, you should be okay. And that's less than 2% of U.S. households. And, of course, some of those are our accredited investor friends that we seek to include in these uh, broadcasts as listeners. But there are few and far between. He proposes seven rates, uh, or there are seven rates right now that are 10 from 30, ten to 37. He's going to push the top one up to 39.6, which is just what it was before Trump. Uh, that rate clicks kicks in for income beyond $510,000 and more for married filing jointly. So, you know... Uh, no big deal there, honestly. Capping itemized deductions for higher earners, and that could get increases down to that 400000 threshold for single filers. And higher corporate taxes, which will be passed on to the average individual, so that amounts to a 0.2 to 0.6 uh, pass-through for Households at the lowest level of, of, of the lowest tax bracket. So, in effect, it is a tax increase on everybody. Once you tax corporations, which is another argument for not taxing corporations. Uh, payroll and investment taxes, that 12.4% payroll tax uh, will, it's now capped at 137700 he wants to pump it up, uh, well, he reinstitute it so it's like a donut hole thing and then uh, hit people who make 400000 and one and above. Uh, so, and then eventually it'd be, with inflation, ha which I don't believe is coming, then it would uh, close that gap as the bracket goes up, it's indexed with inflation, so eventually it'll get to a point where everybody pays payroll tax on every dime. And, of course, it's easy to evade. But um, he's making it tougher because uh, even though people will just change to a distribution, um, what will happen is that uh, they're also trying to tax distributions and cap gains and such at a higher rate, too. So, you know, that is that. And your incentive will be to borrow as a business so you can, you know, write off interest and stuff like that. So he wants 28% corporate tax rate, uh, higher than 21, but that's pretty much before... Trump too, fifteen percent minimum on book profits, so that's kind of like a um, alternative minimum tax for companies, which honestly probably makes some sense if you're going to have a corporate tax. Uh, he also, at this point, he opposes a net worth tax, which is fine. So he's looking to raise almost four trillion, which they won't get over a decade. About 1.4% of the overall economy, which is much less than it would have been under Biden. So, that's that. Uh, 
let's see here. What else do we have today? Lots of stuff, actually. And I think I may have even covered this last month or last week, so I'll skip the Illinois part. I think I may have covered the federal tax. So if I did, those of you who missed it, you don't care. But those of you who didn't miss it, um, sorry I hit a bore you with it again. But, you know, definitely bears repeating. What else do we have here? There's a good article in the Trib, and this has very little, if anything, to do with business, but about Richard Wagner, and uh, Wagner being like the soundtrack for the Nazi party. Uh, but this is probably a book worth reading for those of you who are readers called Wagnerism by Alex Ross. If I had time and energy to read books that aren't about making money, I probably would. Um... And it ties in a lot of, uh, you know, there's a quote in here, Nietzsche went sour on Wagner, but pro or con, the fixation remained. Throwing off the Wagner yoke only affirms the power of Wagnerism. And that, that's something I've observed, like, you know, people who lose their Catholic faith, they're still defined by their Catholic faith, except it's what they're against now. So... You know, when something is indoctrinated in you that powerfully, uh, and even our current progressives are, you know, rebelling against the history of the country that they call home. So you're still defined by the things you hate or reject or have become... You're still defined by illusions that you've been disillusioned from, I think. And it says... Uh, it's kind of a psychological study. It says, in the end inconsistencies between uh, what Wagner did and what he felt and thought were what made him a master. Uh, and it says his operas often stem from his insecurities um, and thus are among art's greatest psychological studies in what makes us with our angels and devils tick. Uh, and he talks about a whole bunch of people who were influenced by him uh, and how he had an effect on Hollywood music, soundtracks. And I think the, the you know, the, the worst thing that happened to a guy like Wagner is to be ignored. And it says a lot of uh, 60s and 70s American uh, musicians just completely ignored him. But anyway, that's a good article worth reading and probably a book worth, worth reading, too. The other thing that occurred to me here, I wrote a note, emotions reveal the self much more than uh, the intellect does. Uh, the passions are, are what, what really form your persona. We see what we want to see in art. Uh, the interpretation of art is more self-revelatory than... Uh, it is about the artwork itself or the artist, really. It's more about what you feel when you see art. Like I remember when I was at the Art Institute as a kid and I saw this big orange canvas and it was called Untitled. I thought, geez, I could do that. 
and the guy was too lazy to even think up a title. I assume it was a guy. Now, other people might have had much more uh, either hypocritical <laughs> or uh, genuine, you know, genuinely, uh, I don't know, self-contemplating. But, but I was like, this guy's just a scam artist. It didn't make me want to be an artist, but, you know, I thought, well, if I could get a can of spray paint, I could do that. See, anything I can do, I don't consider to be art. So, not graphic art, at least. There's a good article about Bill Malden, who was a uh, political cartoonist uh, who won the Nobel Prize at 23, or the Pulitzer, I mean, whose life was evidently a train wreck. Rick Hogan writes the column. He actually knew him. But there's a great cartoon in there about uh, the left wing versus the right wing on both destroying freedom of speech, which led me to think, too, you know, when we talk about censorship of, of, of uh, social media, you know, the problem with social media isn't the, 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 the medium, it isn't Facebook, it's the people on Facebook. I mean, you know, uh, Facebook is neutral. It's, it's what people post that, that is, you know, drives you crazy. But there's no reason that as a publisher, which in effect, you know, Facebook looks at it as if everybody's their own publisher. But the reality is that there's no reason they can't be the editor uh, of the writers. The better way for Facebook to look at this is that, you know, this is a, a, a place that people can write, uh, but there's an editor. And that would certainly slow down the amount of material that's posted and increase their costs. But, you know, then they're about to probably lose their exemption from liability, which is going to make it, it's going to make Facebook either turn a news feed off, which kills them, or start to edit it, you know. I mean, for every poster, there's only probably 5% of the people on Facebook who post. Uh you know, for every poster, assign an editor, and maybe each editor gets 100 people to edit. And, you know, if they don't approve it, it doesn't get posted, right? So that is a simple solution to me, to this whole problem. Now, the trouble is that, you know, when people get political, but if I were if I were Facebook, I would strongly consider just, you know, uh, either pushing political stuff over to some separate political page or, or channel or uh, just saying, look, we don't talk about politics here. Like LinkedIn is not terribly political. I saw a political post out there the other day, but typically they have pretty strong terms to use. And they tell you, look, we're not going to post this stuff if we don't think it's business professional. And I think, you know, Facebook could do the same thing. You know, LinkedIn is a lot safer place for me these days because people tend to cancel me on Facebook, you know. And I don't really like it when they do that. So, uh, what else? There's a great article in here about songwriting uh, by a fellow named Jeff Tweedy who wrote a book called Songwriting, How to Write it One Song. So I'm thinking of writing some songs, uh, just the lyrics, 
because I can't really carry a tune. But, uh, you know, sometimes you read things like this and it kind of makes you realize some things about yourself. And I thought to myself, self, I'm a creative person. I enjoy, you know, doing stuff like this where it's kind of self-expression. And I don't really like tedious, routine, mundane work. So I'm not very engaged with that kind of stuff. And uh, Jeff Tweedy says that he thinks a song is an intentional act of creation using your own imagination. He says, you know, kids have a lot more fun because they create stuff just for the fun of it. And then we tend to figure out that, you know, for most people at least, being creative is not a very uh, good way to make a living. The other thing that occurred to me uh, is that you know, intelligence is kind of like temperature, right? Not too hot, not too cold. Just right is the way to go. Because you can be too smart for your own good, and you can definitely be too dumb for your own good. But, you know, somewhere in the middle there, where you're smart enough not to do stupid things, but not so smart that you're too smart for your own good is the right place to be. I think we've made intelligence... You know, like, the smarter you are, the better you are. But I've known some very smart people who, you know, they would have been better off if they were a little less intelligent, honestly. So, that's a thought. There's an article here, Second City's up for sale. And this is no surprise, uh, because I've been to Second City a few times in the last ten years. Not many. Because it's not funny anymore. It's like Saturday Night Live. And uh, this Chris Jones is the drama critic or whatever, culture critic for the Trib. And he, he has to admit in a very self-flagellating, woke, guilty, self-loathing white guy way that uh, it's because uh, you can't, you can't, you know, the first thing to go on socialist uh, leftist societies is, is the sense of humor. Nothing is funny. Because everything is political. And uh, that's why Second City hasn't been funny for a long time. And I don't think Saturday Night Live is funny either. I haven't watched it in years. So uh, he says, people will have to decide if they can ever laugh together again. Uh, So I doubt it, frankly. There was a guy on Saturday Night Live who did an opening routine. He's like a older Boston white guy, and uh, he's it was his first time on, and it'll be his last time. I mean, he was making some politically incorrect jokes, and I mean, you could tell the audience was so uncomfortable. They didn't know if, it's only okay to laugh now if people make jokes about you know Republicans, uh, something where it's clearly funny even if it's not funny. So anyway. Um, and there's an article by John Warner reviewing a book called uh, Can't Even, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation. And this is one of these you know, self-pity fests that it's tough to make a living now. And it assumes that it was easy to make a living before, which it wasn't. I know. I have never been in very much demand professionally, you know. Uh, so the answer is that, well, one comment he makes resonated because 
he's talking about these millennials who were so uh, anxiety-ridden about tests. And he says, as a college instructor, I tried to help students ratchet down their worries with perspective. I told them that long-term grades didn't matter, which is true. And I told them about my own mediocre college career and how it didn't stop me from being a success. Well, I appreciated that because I had a very mediocre college career. Now, it did stop me from becoming a success, but, you know, at least I felt better when he said that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm the B student, you know. I'm the B-minus guy. I can get a B-minus in anything. But that's it. Um, so the author here is named Alan Anne Helen Peterson. So her solution is to burn it down. Yeah, very... Uh, very much within the zeitgeist, the German word for the spirit of the times, to rethink and restructure society around our shared values for a good life rather than continuing to work ourselves to a frazzle while a fortunate few get very rich, though even they do not escape burnout. So basically it's like, let's get rid of this work ethic thing. Let's get rid of meritocracy. Uh, you know, the, the the phrase you get what you deserve, in my mind, meant you don't deserve anything. You deserve whatever you can earn. But today, getting what you deserve is like, well, you deserve everything. And um, that's where these folks are, and that's why socialism is going to really have its way paved for it by these younger generations, because that's what they want. They, they want everybody to get a prize just for being them, you know? So... It's not the world we grew up in, at least my people my age, but you know, our time has passed. That's that's why time to move on. Um let's see. An update on real estate. I almost bought the condo that Mike Reichel used to live in, and it's actually they actually give the address, thirty three hundred North Lakeshore Drive, and we didn't get it, but somebody else did. And it listed for a million four originally. They got it for nine hundred thousand. So that tells you a lot about uh, real estate in Chicago. That thing was on the market for a long time. So uh, here's an article that might lead you to predict inflation. Talks about the housing boom, which is being threatened by shortage of materials and costs. One of those costs is labor, and that is one area. Although we have plenty of immigrants that are not working union wages, uh, there is competition for labor, there's competition for land, and they're not making any more of that, was the old land pitch. Uh, higher costs are eating into profit margins. Lumber prices are up. Uh, idle sawmills, so, you know, Georgia Pacific might be something there. Uh, some of the home builders have been very strong as people move out to the burbs. But I read a stat today that I think a majority of young people are living in with their parents. You know, when you define it as 22 to 29, majority are living with their parents. Now, are they going to come back to the city when the virus abates and hopefully this BLM violent types of stuff abates? Uh, I don't know. But if they do, maybe then the trend reverses. But they're actually calling it the Great Migration, people moving out to the burbs, you know. So 
Another article about that. I chose the worst year, and this is, I think, a Tribune reporter, about Generation Z struggling. Unemployment in Illinois for the 20 to 24-year-olds is 16%. Uh, and then these kids have their student loans. I imagine there'll be a lot of loan forgiveness at some point here. If I were a kid, I wouldn't pay back my loans. Because uh, I think either this administration or the next one will forgive them. So why would you pay? Greeting card industry. This, If you read this article on the Trib by Katie Surma, initially you would think they're doing great, but... Then it talks about the the, the uh, online sales are doing great. Apparently, people order cards online uh, rather than going to stores, but the stores have gotten killed, so on balance, that business has been hurt. Uh, remember the electronic reading cards? Everybody was selling electronic cards, but then they turned out to be like <laughs> the, the hackers took them over and you'd get viruses and stuff. They ruin everything. So... Uh, there's an article about telehealth, uh, which is interesting. Huge increases in primary care visits online versus in person. It is thought that some of those will stick around because there's a big lobby to keep that uh, telehealth in place. There has been some fraud, but you know you can you can do fraud with in-person visits too. So uh, I think. That is a great thing. I've thought for years with virtual visits, and I was always upset with docs, but then I realized that the docs don't get paid, so they're not going to do it. Why would, you know, nobody works for nothing. And it talks about, uh, there's an article in here about meetings and Zoom meetings, and there's also a cartoon in today's paper that talks about. you know, the joke is that I took two Zoom meetings and took a nap today at the same time. And the point is that people have less tolerance for long meetings on Zoom and they tend to multitask and drift away. That may be an argument for bringing people back into the office at least a couple days a week. So again, that may change this work from home thing. If you start out with a day a week and then two and then three, people by then may be bored with the suburbs, you know. So that could be the salvation of the cities because if people have to come back to work, if restaurants start to open and the theaters, although Second City will probably be closed, um, then, you know, who knows? We may end up with the cities coming back. I certainly hope so since I hold big chunk of my net worth in city real estate. So, a couple of great cartoons I'm going to recommend. I'm not going to read them to you. Nothing's worse than uh, reading cartoons aloud. That just doesn't work. I've tried that. Great Peanuts today. Classic Peanuts. And uh, Great Dilbert. So those alone definitely worth Definitely worth it. And Doonesbury today, you know, Doonesbury has been political forever, but it's amazing. Today it's about, uh, you know, Trump's calling the military losers, and it's amazing to me how 
the left was so negative about the military back in the 60s and really through the 90s. But now, you know, there's stalwart supporters of the military. So, so anyway, that's that. And so I get to throw away a lot of these tear sheets. Because I get the Tribune physically, you know. So you don't have to. Uh, what else have we got here? Oh, this is the greeting cards. More of the greeting card story. And I was thinking about, uh, somehow, I thought of the old joke. Uh, the singing telegram joke. Now, this dates back to high school. You know, there used to be a thing called singing telegrams. So the joke goes like this. I was I thought of this when I was uh, reading the greeting card article. So the joke goes like this. They used to have, like, Western Union would deliver telegrams. And for a while they had singing telegrams. So this guy, <laughs> oh, there's a knock on the door and it's a Western Union um, delivery guy. And the guy says, you know, I got a telegram for you. And uh, the guy says, well, is it a singing telegram? And the guy goes, no. That's not. He says, oh, man, I've always wanted to get a singing telegram. I've never had a telegram before. I'd, I want it to be a singing telegram. And the guy goes, look, it's not, you know. He says, ah, oh, come on. Can't you just sing it? He says, well, you know, you're supposed to pay extra for a singing telegram. They didn't pay. He says, ah, oh, come on. I'm never going to get a telegram again. Why don't you make it a singing telegram? Finally, you know, the guy gets fed up, and he says, all right, fine. You asked for it, you got it. And the uh, telegram, the Western Union guy goes, da 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 your sister Rose is dead. <laughs> and, you know, sorry, I have to laugh at my own jokes because who else would? And I thought to myself then, you know, that's the kind of joke we would have told ourselves in grammar school. I just saw some pictures of uh, St. Bride's that a guy who actually is a Carmel grad and used to teach at Carmel named Jim Civic um, put out there on Facebook. And I thought, boy, the laughter that used to ring through those halls. And uh, it all died in sorrow, you know. The school is closed. The church is closed. The smiles were wiped off our faces by... And, and, and we were put in our places, exiles and... Main Street in uh, Bourbon, USA, as opposed to Urban, USA. Well, now I'm back in the city, but I'm not happy about it, you know. It's not like it was back in the old days. So anyway, a little a little poetic uh, interlude. And those of you from the South Side will know what I'm talking about. Um... Now, here's something. If you don't like to listen to me and you don't like to read the newspaper, what you can do is listen to the newspaper. There's a website called playournews.com. That's P-L-A-Y-O-U-R-N-E-W-S.com. And there's a whole bunch of papers, all of which I think are owned by whatever they call the Tribune Company these days. Uh, and each weekday only. See, because they want you to read that Sunday paper. That's what all the ads are in. You can get that on a whole bunch of things. Amazon Echo, Apple Music, which I might actually do. Google Home, Spotify. I don't know how to use all that other stuff. But I, I think I know how to use Apple Music. 
In fact, I think you can get this podcast on there. So then the car section, um, there's a Porsche 911 review, and uh, there still is no substitute. But I'm thinking to myself, you know, how how is anybody going to be able to afford a Porsche in, in a socialist world? Now, there's still guys who buy Porsches in Europe, and they're supposedly socialist. So I don't know. Maybe they still will be. But, you know, if they're still rich guys, then what's the point of socialism? There's still inequality, right? I and mean, I guess uh, the, the way the Danish look at it is that they are a capitalist country with an extremely robust social safety net. And honestly, I don't really have a problem with that. But, uh, you know, the other thought that occurred to me is elections are much easier without voters of independent means, or at least not too many. You know, if the majority of people basically, like the airline workers, they're totally dependent on whether Nancy Pelosi decides that she deems it uh, in her political interest to bail out their airlines. So they have to vote Democratic. The idea is they have to vote for her or else they don't get any relief. And, of course, they criticize Trump for that. But they do the same thing. Come on. You know. So, anyway. <clears throat> There's that. Just an observation as I spend my Sunday afternoon reading the paper. Uh, let's see Something else I wanted to bear with me a little while I do a little administrative work here at the home office. Some of this stuff. Actually, you have actionable notes written in so I don't throw those away. But I did get through the whole Tribune. <laughs> now, uh, let's see how much time we've killed here. Probably too much. Eh, well, you know, these, these Sunday ones are long. So we got about half an hour. I'm going to go through another one. Um, there's an interview with Dan Rather. Dan Rather is 89, or soon will be. And he still uh, does journalism. He aches to have courage. He talks about when he used to go to the civil rights uh, confrontations in the South... He was too cowardly to say he worked for CBS because it was called the communist broadcasting system or the colored broadcasting systems back in those days of the Klan in the 60s and all that. Um, Then there's an article about Rubik's Cube. There was a guy named Rubik, Erno Rubik, and he invented this cube, right? So it sold a ton, $100 in the first three years, and then it had a revival in the 90s, and now it's $350 million. Yeah, I used to have one. And mathematicians have calculated that there are, oh my God, this is a, this is a big number. I think maybe this, I don't know what this is. 43, 43,252,003,274,489,856,000. So that's million, hundred million, trillion, hundred trillion. What is that? A Google? Forty-three Google? I don't know. And there's only one correct combination. Now, because of the, uh, he could solve it in a minute. I think the first time he solved it, it took him a month. 
and then now he can do it in a minute, and there's people who can do it even faster than that, that need only seconds. There's a speed cuber thing. So that's pretty amazing, but I guess the reason I called that out is that uh, investing is like that. You know, there's a million ways to lose money or Google ways. And sometimes, there's not just one way to make money, but there's very few ways to make money. So, it's challenging. So, if you're an alpha investor and you're losing money, don't don't be ashamed of yourself, you know. I mean, when you're looking for alpha, you're taking high risk, high reward. Uh, so, the chances are you are going to lose, but if you do win, then, you know, you'll win big. Uh, here's a little barrier to the work at home, school from home. Florida school officials are complaining. This is from the Week magazine, guys. We are now on to the Week magazine, which I also read so you don't have to. But I highly recommend. Uh, you can get that digitally, too. I still get it in print. I don't know why. But Florida school officials complain the parents stressed out by at-home learning can be seen smoking weed or drinking in the background of their kids' <laughs> Zoom classes. Uh so that is a barrier to work from home and school from home. Let's face it. Trump is trailing in the polls uh, among independents by eight points, who he won by seven last year, or last election, rather. Um, Democrats oppose him 96 to two in the two percent that probably filled out the survey wrong. Um, so independents and liberals make up 65% of all voters. Trump can't win with Republicans alone. He sure can't. Um, and there's an article about Roe v. Wayne. I'm going to skip that because God knows. There's no money in that issue. So Ah, what else we got here? There's a new social network called Telepath, which is uh, trying to be what I just said Facebook should be, which is an edited version of a social medium. So I may uh, hop on that. Then there's a, a good cartoon here that resonated with me. It shows the moving day. And it shows a couple of movers taking Donald Trump out like the furniture. And it's a takeoff on an ancient event uh, during, I think either during the war or after the war, there was a guy named Sewell Avery who ran Montgomery Ward, and uh, they ordered him out of his office because he was not complying with, like, wage and price controls or something, and he wouldn't leave, so they carried him out in his chair. And uh, that was famous. I worked for Wards. That was my first job out of college. And it was a mess. Wards was. You know, I wasn't the cream of the crop, so I wasn't that highly recruited. And I ended up working for Monkey Wards. But that, you know, I became sort of a student of the history of Wards, which was, somebody should make a movie about that. And uh, so I became familiar with Sewell Avery. So that was probably... 1% or less of the people who saw that cartoon would understand the analogy, but I did. And I share it with you. Uh, there's an article in here about Belgium, 
from the Frankfurter Allemann Zeitung. I took German in high school so I could figure out what the German sudden war movies. That's how I made my academic decisions. So I ended up being a podcaster. Um, and Belgium basically is giving up. Uh, they're not requiring masks. Their infection rate shot up 62%, but the president says that uh, the prime minister, Sophie Wilmes, who's a woman, you know, so men have no monopoly on covid She says Belgians should live, learn to live with the risk of the virus. Um, and they've loosened up a lot of the social distancing and limits on gatherings. She says better a lighter measure is observed than a drastic one no one follows. And uh, the Germans aren't happy about that. Germans aren't happy very often anyway. So, uh, but it just goes to show you that, you know, uh, the the soon-to-end probably Trump administration is not alone in trying to return to normalcy. Normalcy, rather. Who who wouldn't want to return to normalcy? It's just a question of how long. Now, I have not been following the international scene that closely, but there's a ca- there's a war in the caucus, folks, in this little corner of the world called Nagorno-Karabakh, which. Uh, there are two former Soviet republics, Armenia, which has a terrible history of genocide alleged with Turkey, and uh, Azerbaijan. This thing popped up in the 90s, I think. And it was like, where in God's name is Nagorno-Karabakh? Well, naturally, we are not engaged in that. Who cares, according to us? But essentially, it may get Turkey and Russia involved in a little bit of a, a, a shooting match. And they have a long history of geopolitical rivalry, although uh, Turkey's been getting close to uh, Russia lately, buying some of their weapons to spite the U.S. And uh, so it looks like there's a little riff here. And this boils down to... Uh, I think there's an Islamic aspect to it. So, you know, a little mess that it says, while U.S. disengagement has emboldened Turkey, other NATO, other NATO allies should apply political and financial pressure on Turkey. And this is an article, and they really pick a lot of stuff out of the world of journalism. This is out of an Italian uh, publication. So the Italians pay more attention to that stuff than we do. But, you know, just in case you're tired, you need something else to worry about. Um, But that is a big development because if there's tension between Russia and Turkey, that's actually probably not the worst thing in the world for us strategically. Now, here's an article that says that um, cruise ships are going to start sailing in spite of the risks. The Trump administration overruled the CDC, and, uh, you know, I don't know if you're on a ship and you wear a mask, but uh, I wouldn't get on one. But eventually, you know, you're either going to have to sink those boats or, or let them go. So these are all judgment calls, folks. Nobody's holding a gun to your head and making you get in the ships. But I would think they should at least 
test them before they get off the boat, and you might get stuck on that boat forever. You know? Now, here's an article from ProPublica, which is usually, I consider to be, tends to be very leftist, but it's criticizing, and I guess this is kind of leftist, because it's like, leave the woods alone, but it's criticizing California's housing and land policies and uh, forcing people to build in areas that are susceptible to forest fires. So usually they blame Trump for that because it's all his fault. Global warming's all his fault. But in this case, they're blaming California. And I suppose somehow that's Republicans' fault too. But, you know, I don't think there's been a Republican elected in California for the last 30 years. 33, 30% of Americans agree that most Americans can be, most people can be trusted, which is lower than it's been since uh, they started taking the poll in 1972. And this is according to the General Social Survey, whatever that is, oh, written by David Brooks. And it says that when people feel naked and alone, they revert to tribe. Well, you know, maybe so. Okay, Biden agenda. This is new material, I know. Six trillion in spending over a decade, which is what six hundred billion a year. Um, the COVID program is very weak. One single official charged with you know COVID czar charged with uh, the shortages of testing supplies and personal protective equipment, which is not a bad idea. Hundred thousand people to conduct contact tracing. I will apply. Uh, I got to get around to applying to be an election judge too. I could pick up a few bucks on that if they're still hiring. Um, will not he wants to make sure nobody pays out of pocket expenses for a COVID vaccine? Well, that's pretty much baked in anyway. So you know, their position on COVID isn't all that much different than Trump in a sense. That you know, the president can't make everybody wear masks. That's a that's a state and local decision. Uh, level of public investment in business, not seen for a long time. This would be good. $400 billion on purchasing U.S.-based goods and services. $300 billion in R&D for clean energy. Uh, he looks at clean energy as a jobs program, which, you know, it could be. Uh, $15 federal minimum wage, which I don't agree with, but it's not that big a deal. So many states are getting it anyway. And if you're going to have a minimum wage, I think it ought to be... Uh, you know, hooked to inflation, indexed. He's aggressively pro-union, which, you know, um, I'm not a big union guy. Interest-free loans to small and medium businesses. We'll be lining up for that here. Litigation connection, all these other businesses I've got. Alpha's next. Be lining up. Ventures next. Uh, Through the duration of the pandemic crisis, which may not be that long, but... The uh, the proposals would create, according to Moody's, 18.6 million new jobs, which is good. Uh, average post-tax income bump of $4,800 per capita, I presume. Trump's policy is 11.2 million jobs, but only a nominal income gain for the average household. Okay, so I guess that 4800 is a household bump. I, you know, I got no big problem with that. Let's see. Wants public option for Medicare, which is basically the edge of the wedge for Medicare for all, which I think is inevitable. 
it may not even be that bad, except the trade-offs on innovation and such, wants to negotiate pharmaceutical prices, which is something Trump wants to do too, and a lot of Republicans, no big difference there. Increase federal subsidies to drive down premiums, which is for health insurance, which is fine with me, and that's actually good for the healthcare sector. Uh, the average 40-year-old making 50 grand would save 168 a month on health insurance premiums through the exchange. Biden's proposal would extend coverage to millions of low-income people in the dozen states that have refused to expand Medicaid. I think that's fine. Um, wants to lower the Medicare eligibility age to 60 from 65, which is, again, they're just going to gradually put in Medicare for all. And spend $125 billion over 10 years, which is $12.5 billion a year, and drug addiction treatment, which I think is fine. Top individual rates, we talked about that. Uh, education, universal pre-K for three- and four-year-olds. I don't I guess I have a problem with that particularly. Uh, college for All, which is a Sanders idea, matching federal grants to states that eliminate public college and university tuition for students from households making less than 125000 a year, invest in community colleges, eliminate tuition, uh, ban for profit charter schools, triple federal aid, uh, $16 billion to 48 for low-income school districts, $2 trillion to uh, invest in clean energy, upgrade 4 million buildings to meet energy efficiency standards, zero greenhouse gas emissions for all new buildings by 2030, $500 million solar panels, 60,000 U.S.-made wind turbines, eliminate carbon emissions, from the electric sector by 2035, the utilities, that could be tough. Might have a lot of brownouts. Put the U.S. on a path to near zero CO2 commission emissions by 2050, by which time Joe will be dead, and probably so will I. Uh, Joe looks at this as a big jobs program, and he wants to get back on the Paris Climate Agreement, which I could care less. Criminal justice, $20 billion grant program to reduce incarceration. Um, abolish death penalty at the federal level. Allow states to legalize recreational marijuana and should put, keep some people out of jail. Does not want to defund the police. Wants to limit the sale of military weapons to police departments, which they aren't using anyway. What are they going to do, cut their knees off? You know, uh, Federal Corps of Unarmed First Responders, <laughs> social workers, EMTs, and mental health professionals. We already have EMTs, guys. It's called the Fire Department. And mental health professionals, which probably would be good to assist with nonviolent emergencies on the local level. You know, if you got some guy in PCP and uh, you send out a mental health and a social worker first, well, maybe they'll defuse it. And then... <laughs> Things start to get to be things they can call the cops, you know. And a lot of those domestics, too, you know. That might not be the worst idea in the world. If if these reformers hadn't said defund the police, which scares all the, frankly, white people, <laughs> makes them move out to the suburbs, and instead had, uh, you know, talked about, let's... Uh, 
Let's replace some of the police officers with peace officers, you know, something like that. They could have sold that a lot easier, frankly. Anyway, that's that. So I love these little uh, wit and wisdom quotes. It's kind of like the old uh, Reader's Digest. Orwell said, every joke is a tiny revolution, especially in the grim, humorless, socialist world we're about to brave. Despair is always rational, but hope is human. Novelist Richard Flanagan said that. I don't know who he is. Sounds like an Irishman. Uh, the human heart dares not to stay away too long from that which hurt it most. There is a return journey to anguish that few of us are released from making. So said author Lillian Smith. It is inhumane, in my opinion, to force people who have a genuine medical need for coffee to wait in line behind people who apparently view it as some kind of a recreational activity, said Dave Barry, who used to be in the Tribune and now is not. I used to think, I used to laugh at his stuff. He used to talk about Florida men a lot. Here's one by philosopher Jose Ortega y Gasset, if my Spanish is serving. You know, I majored in Spanish in college. Rancor is an outpouring of a feeling of inferiority. Isn't that the truth? That harks back to that uh, Wagnerian quote earlier in this epic episode. Now, I know this thing craps out after an hour, so time check. Yeah, I only had seven minutes. Cowing people is not the same as converting them. And this is so true today, said Michelle Goldberg and Harper's. You know, a lot of this Trump vote is people like the silent majority in the in the sixties and seventies. You know, if you if you browbeat and, you know, cancel people into not saying what they think, that doesn't mean they don't still think what they used to say, you know? So Try persuading people to agree with you instead of canceling them, I say unto the left. All humans are stupid, but the smartest ones at least have a handle on their own ignorance. So said John Cleese, the famous Monty Python comedian. Now, here's something. You know, the, the, the Trump haters are convinced that it's all his fault with the virus, that nobody wears masks. 92% of Americans now report wearing a mask when they leave the house, with 74% saying they always do, up from 60% in July. Now, how much higher can that get if, if Biden starts telling everybody to wear one? How much higher is that really going to get? My wife bought one, and I knew she would when she found a designer mask, and so she found a Chanel. It's a knockoff. So now she's wearing a mask. I knew that would happen, and I tell her, honey... You know, wear it so you get compliments because she lives for compliments about her outfits, you know. So that's good for me. She still doesn't wear it around the house, but, you know. We're making some progress. Here's the thing about why more kids survive COVID. Basically, an inexperienced immune system is better equipped to fight the virus because every, every virus is novel to them. Whereas when you get old... Your immune system gets, you know, lazy like the rest of you, and it just fights what it already learns to recognize. So that's why. Hopes for a nuclear fusion breakthrough. This would be huge. And this is not some dope in his bedroom. This is MIT. Uh, 
a fusion reactor, and it could be ready within a decade, producing 10 times the energy it consumes. So that could solve this whole climate thing, all right? So relax, okay? Don't worry about it. Um, Google's Google News Showcase. I may start trying to write some news stories because Google's going to start paying for them. I actually don't write that much anymore. I'm too lazy. But if you pay me to do stuff, I'm more likely to do it. It's not, it's not a sure thing. Ask my business partner. Uh, here's another book, Spirit of the Times. The Tyranny of Merit. What's become of the common good, for goodness sake? And this guy is uh, Michael Sandel, who apparently is a big deal. Uh, Harvard man, of course. He is a political philosopher, and he contends that progressives' embrace of a society built on individual merit feeds the class resentment now tearing the country apart. And I, I saw a quote from uh, Kamala Harris, and... I mean, if I was teaching 8th grade composition, I would have given her an F on it because it was so inarticulate. And this should be an articulate woman. But she basically said, you know, equality uh, doesn't mean that everybody should have the same thing uh, and get the same amount of help because uh, what we really want is, I forget what the word was she used, uh, social justice or something because we want everybody to get to the same place but some people need more help getting there than others well who says we want everybody to get to the same place <laughs> you know not everybody is bill gates or or steve jobs and so they're going to get to a lot better place than i am because what have i ever invented you know and so that's what i mean by get what you deserve but uh this guy this is the same kind of logic that drives socialism. A perfect meritocracy would be uh, unacceptable because it makes winners arrogant and losers ashamed. So in other words, you know, if you feel bad because of your shortcomings, we can't have that anymore. So, And the reason you want people to feel bad is so they try to get better, you know? Uh, but, you know, the guy who... Some socialist came up with the word meritocracy and predicted that uh, it would lead to eventual revolt because the haves and the elite would be the, the those who earned it. And, of course, the whole idea of a meritocracy was, as opposed to uh, inherited class structure, where my ancestor Normans used to be the, uh, you know, the upper class, and the lower class, no matter how good they were at what they did or hard, how hard they were, could never be accepted into the, the, the elite. So now they don't like that either. You know, it's like, well, wait a minute. There shouldn't be any elite. I saw a movie today, Son of Kong. Good movie. And it was like there are three captains on the ship and they throw them all overboard, including the one who led the mutiny against the other two. I'm like, well, now what happens? Isn't somebody going to have to be in charge? There's always going to be an elite. So so this guy's solution to that is to cut payroll taxes and uh, ask winners to show more humility. So I notice now all these like filthy rich billionaires on 
CNBC are now talking about humility and being humble. They probably read this book. But there should be general equality of living conditions and dignity for lower-paid professions. Okay, got to go. Live long, prosper. Try to get the rest of this in next time.